everyone it's tuesday october 27th 2020 and you're listening to an episode of the salvage title podcast as always i am your host brad as like and i'm here to talk to you about car news car culture and car whatever uh today's episode we're not really focused on anything big or groundbreaking or anything like that because we're kind of in a weird spot once again with news and there's just not a whole lot going on. There are Toyota Sienna reviews uh, coming out, uh, just like the Venza before it earlier this year. The uh, Sienna has adopted a two and a half liter four cylinder engine with a hybrid synergy drive powertrain uh, that does make the Sienna available in an all wheel drive package as well. So basically, uh, it's underneath you know the Rav4, it's underneath the Venza, and it's underneath the Sienna. Um, you know, I think making the Sienna your minivan of choice these days is a pretty smart one simply because it is the newest minivan on the market. But uh, I feel like I'm still pretty firmly in the Pacifica camp as the class leading option. It's got the stow and go seats, it's got the optional all wheel drive system that doesn't impact the stow and go seats. Uh, it's got the looks, I would argue, even the new updated one that I don't love quite as much. Uh, still looks much better than the new Sienna. Uh, sorry, Toyota, as much as I do generally stand your company and your products. Uh, yeah, it feels weird to say the Pacific is still the pick, but I'll try to assimilate more information about the Sienna and talk about it later. Uh, we definitely need to do a deep dive on vans one of these days because uh, I think that's a segment that might get interesting again. And the reason why I'm thinking about that as well is because I was working uh, at, at work today, we, you know, like many stores right now, you have to have somebody count people coming in and out of the store, making sure that people are wearing masks and, you know, following rules and regulations and all that. And uh, working that station this morning, I basically saw this uh, short wheelbase Ford Transit, but it had the tall cab conversion and uh, it was brown. Uh, it was an absolutely beautiful thing. And now that they're going to be selling versions of these vans with the uh, EcoBoost engine and all-wheel drive, you know, <laughs> I gotta say, uh, the Transit, if you need something that big, it's not a bad option. It's not quite an Aerostar. It's not quite a Windstar uh, in terms of competing with a Pacifica or a Sienna. Um, but if you need something a little more robust, uh, that might be an interesting way to go. But anyway, uh, the main thing that I kind of wanted to talk about today is just something that came up into my mind uh, as I saw one drive by earlier this afternoon, and it is the Acura RDX. Now, not the current RDX, but the original one that came out in the mid-2000s. Now, if you wind the clock back to the mid-aughts, when Acura did their first non- MDX crossover. Uh, the RDX was, I think, loosely based on the CRV, uh, but it instead employed a 2.3 liter turbocharged inline four, I believe with direct injection, uh, and it had a pretty trick super handling all wheel drive system. 
Now this was the beginning of the pointy beak-like style choices that uh, Acura had begun to make. And I remember giving the RDX a look around that time. I would have been uh, just about done with high school, early college, and uh, thinking this was one of the most useless vehicles ever to be put together by a Japanese automobile company. Uh, crossovers at that point in time were really not a thing. Like, there were obviously some, you know, that's why Acura jumped into that ball game. Um, but it's not like today where everything's a crossover and your only option when buying a new car is a crossover. And <laughs> the RDX just really struck a different chord. Uh, it was very sporty, it was very edgy, it handled really well, uh, it had a much rougher ride compared to a lot of its competitors. I think only the X3 um, had a more sport-tuned suspension than the RDX. Uh, the engine was the first turbocharged engine uh, from Honda in a production vehicle uh, at that point in time here in North America. Uh, it was a big, game-changing vehicle, and when you think about it, how strange it was that they did something that today would be, you know, commonplace. Like, they were way, 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 way ahead of the curve, not only in terms of, like, size and design, but, like, just in terms of the powertrain. I mean, everything today is a turbocharged four-cylinder engine between, like, 1.8 and, like, 2.5, 2.7 liters uh, it's, I mean, even pickup trucks are using these kinds of engines these days. And, you know, Acura managed to have a thing that, you know, didn't use a glass transmission, had a pretty robust engine. Uh, the the all-wheel drive system was very good, not only in the snow and in the wet, but, you know, if you put it with the right kind of tires, that super handling all-wheel drive system is very good off-road. Um, it's just one of those things that amazes me that they were that far ahead. And thinking of another car, I guess not necessarily in that size class, but something that was similarly ahead of the ball game and really took a long time to, I'm gonna use the words mature into what we now see today, is the Mazda CX-9. Um, or I guess not the CX-9, but the CX, what was it, the CX-7? Now I'm getting confused as to which ones are which. I think it was the CX-7. Anyway, uh, the CX-7, you know, was a mid-size crossover based on the Ford Edge that used a direct injection 2.3 liter engine uh, that was loosely based on the MZR platform that was in everything at Mazda at that point in time. Uh, it was also basically the same powertrain out of the Mazda Speed uh, 6. And, you know, it was a very high-strung, uh, you know, high-pressure turbo engine uh, using a new direct injection technology that really hadn't been pioneered by anybody at that point uh, in a, you know, mid-size two-row family crossover, a segment that, you know, really didn't exist at that point in time either. And, you know, the Mazda compared to the Ford Edge, I think was genuinely a much better crossover in terms of, you know, overall design and engineering. It really seemed like a more cohesive thought. But that being said, you know, I think the jury's still out on those early MZR turbos holding up uh, in any kind of way. Uh, if I remember correctly, 
they have issues with like carbon buildup on the I think it's the not the cylinder heads but the valves I might be getting it confused with another one um, but these Mazdas because they didn't build many of these engines over that generation of cars uh, they are a little more tricky to work on if I remember correctly a little more expensive to repair uh, compared to the Ford Edge where you know it's the same four-cylinder engine the same v6 that was in everything at that point in time so you can go to AutoZone and basically buy a brand new Duratech v6 uh, you know probably for the same price it would cost to fix you know some slightly major things uh, on the Mazda but you know size wise again Thing really seemed to hit the nail on the head in terms of where things are at you know in terms of the Toyota Highlander these days um, really seemed to uh, you know get the powertrain stuff correct all-wheel drive system I don't remember being spectacular but given that it had that rally inspired all-wheel drive system from the Mazda Speed 6 underneath uh, I have a feeling it would get out of situations when you needed it to um, but I definitely think it would need a better set of tires because I do remember the Mazda 6 being on the sportier, or sorry, the uh, CX-7 being on the sportier, sportier end of things uh, at that point in time. Now, the CX-7 did turn into the CX-9 eventually. Um, yeah, I think I'm remembering that correctly. God, now I can't remember. I feel like it's almost like a Bernstein Bears type thing where it's like, oh, which one was which? Uh, but... Yeah, it's just weird to think about, like, you know, there were these things that were that far ahead of where we're at today. And, you know, what are the equivalents today that maybe haven't hit their maturity level, you know? Like, I'm trying to think of, like, if there's any weird vehicles out there right now. And, you know, the argument has been from a lot of people that cars these days are too similar in design, too similar in function. Uh, they all basically, you know, seat five people comfortably with, you know, two or three roll-on bags, and they have a turbocharged engine and all-wheel drive. And they're not wrong. I mean, the SUV, or the crossover and SUV craze really has distilled the automotive market down to some very specific ideals. And you know, it's tough to, to pull out of where we're at today and go, yeah, that's going to be the wave of the future. And I mean, you know, the obvious ones being obvious are cars like the Tesla Model 3, the Tesla Model Y, uh, you know, the ID4, the ID3, if you're in Europe. Uh, there are definitely some things, but it's tough to say what's ahead of the curve. I think the only thing I can think of right now off the top of my head is something like the... Uh, Toyota RAV4 Prime. Uh, the RAV4 Prime isn't that far ahead of the curve when you think about the straightforward technology that's beneath it. Uh, the RAV4 Prime is, you know, a super high output version of the hybrid system that's been in the Camry for years now. Um, it's got a much larger battery. It gives the car the ability to drive 40-ish miles on a single charge and uh, you know have a pretty trick all-wheel drive system attached to it. Uh, it's the fastest Toyota that you can buy that's not a Supra at this point. Um, in theory, if you want to follow that along even further, it's the fastest Toyota that isn't a BMW, which is you know kind of weird to think about. Um, but yeah, the RAV4 Prime, you know, basically took what GM pioneered with the Volt 
having the you know battery electric hybrid plug-in hybrid uh, where you know you get 30 to 40 miles on a single charge uh, to start and then you get another you know hybrid assist drive otherwise uh, it's it's a novel concept in that I think it's the size shape it's the vehicle that's the number one selling vehicle that's not an, a pickup truck in the United States. I mean, Toyota really seems to, I think, have carved out an interesting spot for themselves. But given that they're only selling 5,000 in the United States this year, I don't know if they have complete confidence in it, especially when it's a nearly $50,000 vehicle, uh, depending on what train you get. But uh, yeah, I don't know. I, I feel like, you know, if Ford is going to be doing it, which I think they are with the Escape, um, I think that kind of pushes things things along, although I think the escape is delayed because of the coronavirus right now. Um, you know, Jeep is going to be kind of doing that uh, with the Wrangler. Uh, and, you know, I guess maybe to some extent the Wrangler is one that is ahead of its time. Uh, you know, having this, this plug-in hybrid system and a true you know, four-wheel drive off-roading vehicle. You know, it's going to put a lot of pressure, I think, on Ford to do the same with the Bronco. Uh, I believe Land Rover already has plans to do an electrified or a full electric Defender. So, you know, I think there's definitely going to be some movement there. Obviously, there's the full electric Hummer, which I think is going to really engage the electric truck race. But, yeah, I really can't think of a particular vehicle that's jumping out ahead of anything. And maybe, you know, that's the whole point is that, you know, back in the mid aughts when the RDX and the CX-7 came out, you know, they were different vehicles. They weren't radically different from what we had seen before, but it wasn't until 10 or 15 years later that we went, holy shit, look at that. They were way ahead of the game and we had no idea. And it's gonna be interesting to see how things kind of pull together in that regard. Well, anyway. I've rambled enough. Uh, just something to think about as we head deeper into the week. I don't know if there's going to be much going on news-wise. I, I don't know of any uh, car launches that are going on. I don't really know of any big events that are happening. Uh, things kind of keep getting pushed back as the coronavirus continues to pop off here in the U.S. So, uh, speaking of that, you know, make sure that you are uh, staying safe, washing your hands, wearing a mask, doing the right thing, distancing. Uh, in all the right ways, shapes, and forms. And uh, we vote here in the United States in a week. So if you haven't already taken your mail-in ballot uh, to a drop-off location or placed it in the mail, make sure you do that very soon. Otherwise, make sure you have a plan to vote next week, Tuesday, uh, and go through with it because uh, there's a lot of things at stake right now uh, here in the United States. And if you're voting, uh, you know, please, please, vote uh because we've got uh we've got our work cut out for us to say the least anyway guys i hope you have a fantastic start to your week and we will see you on the next episode of the salvage title podcast